Welcome to the Every Nation Dorado Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. This morning we have Pastor Andrew here. He was here with Carol, his wife, and also with um, Zarina Kellerman. She's one of the elders and prophets as well. They're coming from the Johannesburg Church, and they oversee our churches here from an apostolic point of view. And uh, they are actually the ones who planted this church 23 years ago. Yeah. And uh, through many things that they've experienced, they had to go back to Johannesburg, but the, the work of God continues. Amen. And there are so many faces that are here that we know from way back, Bonnie, you know, and friends, that we know from way back when everything started. And it really just confirms in my heart that God is able to complete the work that he starts. Amen. And so I really just want to honor Pastor Andrew and Pastor Carol who are here this morning. And Pastor Carol had to go back. She's preaching in their service in Johannesburg. But tonight we've got um, Zarina coming. She's going to be in our evening service at 6 o'clock. So please, please join us. But I really just want to honor Pastor Andrew for the work that he's done and his, his father heart over this house. Won't you just stand as we honor him and receive him this morning. God bless you. All glory to God. <laughs> you know, it's been seven years since I was lost, yeah? 23 years ago, God brought us into what I still think is one of the best church plants Carol and I ever put our hands to. Namibia is eternally entrenched in our hearts. And so it's such a blessing to be here. And seeing faces of people that I haven't seen for many years, seeing people who were here right from the beginning, the early days, God has some amazing things for this church. God has prophesied some incredible things into this church. A church is not a building, it's the people. And the people that God is raising up in this church, God's been just showing me some amazing things this weekend. It's been an incredible weekend. I had such a lovely time with the men. Tell you what, we've seen men transformed. So, ladies, yes, there will be some great husbands out there. It's part of my job. Release husbands. So, there's more women in the church than men. So, we're going to just do something about that. But it is such a blessing and a privilege to be here today. And, uh, you know, as I looked at some of the faces that I haven't seen for so many years, I was like crying between the services, you know what I mean? Just seeing you guys and how many have pressed through. But I felt like the Lord said He is adding something to this building in the next season. And it's not just the physical building, but the building of this church. I saw God doing something new in Pastor Chris and Mel. And uh, I heard the Lord just re-establishing the Daniel anointing that's upon you, bro. And um, the picture that I got was both of Daniel and Joshua and Caleb when they went as spies into the promised land. And in both scenarios, they were young men who were having to contend with much older men, but they had the anointing and the word of the Lord in them. And Daniel, God used to show the wise men, the king, that those who yield to the spirit of the Lord will always have a greater word than those who feel like they're more experienced. And there's an anointing upon you that God is breaking through. I saw the Lord placing a new mantle on you. It was like uh, you always have had a mantle. You've always had a grace from the Lord and a gifting from the Lord. And some of it he put in you from a young man. But there's a new mantle coming upon you. And I saw the Lord almost like Elijah put that mantle on Elisha. That God was placing a fresh mantle upon you to be one who hears God in a greater measure and delivers what he has to say. And you will father fathers. You will father fathers in this nation. You will father mothers and fathers who are much older than you. You will release a word that's going to transform the city and ultimately the nation. And the Lord says, lift up your eyes because I've called you to greater things and know that I've got you in the exact place that I want you right now. You are not in any way, in any place that I have not desired exactly for you to be because you have a foot to speak into the business arena and a foot to speak into the church arena and you are going to demonstrate what heaven on earth looks like to both of those arenas 
Daniel had a foot in both worlds. And when we, when we look at the establishing of the temple, the two columns of the temple, one was named Jock and the other was named after a prophet, which was a businessman and a prophet. And the Lord says, I'm going to use you to demonstrate my kingdom to both. And know there's a new grace coming upon you. And I, I just want you as a church to receive what is coming from this man and his wife. Lord, we bless them with that. We release it. We thank you, Lord, that the gifts and callings are irrevocable and we increase what we see in the Spirit upon this man. We pray for him and his wife and the leadership of this church because there's a season of breaking that is coming that is going to take them into higher places. The ceilings are being destroyed, says the Lord. The, the hindrances are being destroyed, says the Lord, because you have been faithful. I will now break you open. You have been faithful with small things. I made you faithful and greater, but now I'm going to make you faithful in even greater than you could imagine in Jesus' name. Yeah, give the Lord a hand for that. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I want to share a bit of my life story with you this morning. So in the eight hours that are left to us, <laughs> I want to tell you a story about two of the children in our church. Those sitting behind the speaker, by the way, this is what I look like. Yeah. That's what I look like. Just so you know. Uh, two children in our children's church back home. One Kevin, Ryan, Kevin's nine, Ryan's six, and uh, their mom is one of the most amazing bakers I know, and she makes the most amazing pancakes. And so one morning, she's like, she's going to treat her sons, and she starts making pancakes. She's a bit late because she's such a perfectionist, so Kevin and Ryan sitting there salivating, drool running down, and, and, and she's making the first pancake, and it rises slowly. She takes five minutes on each pancake, and then she puts it on the dishing plate, it just kind of wafts through the end. Kevin and Ryan, look at that pancake, one pancake, two boys. Do the maths. How many of you mothers have boys? How many of the fathers have boys? Okay, hopefully you guys are together. <laughs> There's something you need to tell each other afterwards. So these being real boys, they, they look at that pancake and Kevin goes, don't worry, Ryan, you can have that pancake. I, I don't mind. Now we all know what boys are like, right? They fight, you know, with the first pancake. So their mom goes... This is a great opportunity for a moral lesson. Kevin and Ryan, it is always better to be like Jesus. If Jesus were here, he would say, you have the first pancake, I'll wait. I am more blessed by watching you enjoy that pancake. It's always better to be like Jesus. So Kevin thinks about that. He looks at Ryan, he says, okay, okay, okay. Ryan, you can have what's better. You be Jesus. And that's what I'm sharing on today, how to make great pancakes. Oh, no, wait, that's next week. <laughs> Sorry, Werner's going to be sharing how to make great pancakes. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Listen, if you know me, I am one of the world's greatest pancake eaters. <laughs> but when we talk about becoming like Jesus, how many of you want more Christ-like character? Yes. How many of you want some of that new wine we're singing about? Yes. How many of you don't want any of that? How many of you would not raise your hands no matter what I said today? I see those hands. I see those hands. And we sing that song and it's, you know, in the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine, Jesus. So sweet, so comforting. But now, have you noticed that when you go through the crushing, you sing it differently? <laughs> Why the crushing? Why the pressing? Jesus, why don't you love me? Oh, I know you've sung that song. Some of you in different keys, but it doesn't really matter what key. So today, I want to share on the uncomfortable crushing components of crafting Christ-like character. You caught it. T.D. Jakes has brought out a new book called Crushing. Hey, you've got to watch the YouTube video where you sit and talk through that thing. I love T.D. Jakes. He says it with that deep voice. 
everything sounds like God. <laughs> I want to tell you that when I started out as a minister, uh, 32 years ago, I was full of passion and zeal, and everything was going to be great, and I was going to be the world's greatest preacher. I was going to raise the dead. I was going to do miracles. It's going to be on TV everywhere. I was just going to be Jesus to the world. And then he crushed me and broke me, and it wasn't nice. And uh, <laughs> Romans 8, 28, you've all got it there. You don't have to go Roman to that in your Bible, okay? So no Roman over to there for the sake of time. But we know that in all things. In how many things? So, so many of us think that God works good only in the good things that feel good. No, in all things, the stuff that doesn't feel good, God works for the good of those who love Him and called according to His purpose. And we've all memorized that verse. Many haven't memorized the one that comes after it. But we must know that from the very beginning, it was God's plan that everyone who comes to Him would become like Jesus. Before the foundations of the world, you were created for good works in Christ. Amen? So in other words... God's ultimate destiny right from the beginning was that you would become like Jesus. Now, I'm not preaching anything new. You all know this. You all know this. But the way we become like Jesus typically in the church, my first initial way of doing it was every time there was a powerful man of God, a woman of God that I knew you just like Jesus, you lay hands on me and release that. And they would lay hands and I got no hair left because they just, they, they just rub Jesus into me. And it was so easy. I just became like Jesus, like that. The next morning I woke up just like walking on water because the geezer burst. And <laughs> Friends, I wish I could just lay hands on you, rub the hair off your head and say, be bold, be strong. <laughs> Unfortunately, becoming like Jesus is not as much fun as it sounds in a church sermon or the song. And listen, if it is God's primary plan that we all become like Jesus, you would know that there are going to be multiple ways that He does it, right? Not just one way. He's, everything that He does in your life, the good stuff, the stuff that doesn't feel so good, the, the, the preaching, the, the having babies, the, the mess of life, everything that we go through, He's going to use. Now, I have found out of the 362.5 methods that God uses, Three that have been in my life the most effective and what I see the most powerful in the lives of people I minister to. And so I want to just highlight those three. And I'm going to just share my Mighty Messiah's multiple molding methods. And only three of them I'm touching on today. But one of the powerful ways he uses is the transforming power of truth. Now, when we talk about truth... We must understand that uh, truth is not just reading your Bible. Truth is also letting Jesus break down the lies in your life and replacing them with His truth, specifically for you. And then the transforming presence of His glory, this is a great one. And I shared on these two most of the weekend. So Friday and Saturday, I was hammering points one and two. And I think the men got some good stuff, even if Jesus says so Himself. But the transforming presence of His glory, have you noticed, those of you who were here last night, that when you're in His presence, when you're experiencing His light, it's like light drives out darkness. Friends, when you went home last night and it was dark in your house, did you shout at the darkness and say, Be gone, darkness, in light's name. It was a lot easier than that, wasn't it? You, you did what? You switched on the lights. And so churches I go to, especially throughout Africa and the way I was raised, was we shout at darkness and we shout well. We are trained at shouting at darkness. And darkness does not mind. And God has shown me, Andrew, you know what? You're wasting your breath. One of the reasons I burned myself out 23 years ago uh, in our time here in Namibia was because I was taking on darkness. And Jesus had to teach me, Andrew, just turn the lights on. And there is darkness in all of our hearts that God wants to expose light. He just wants to... What is darkness? Darkness is lies. Jesus is truth. Wherever we believe lies, the enemy has authority. Wherever we let truth come in, God has authority. And He transforms us 
day by day through those things, the transforming presence of His glory and the releasing of His truth. But I want to share today my life story of the transforming potential of troubles and trials. And I know none of you are going through troubles and trials, but you may someday. <laughs> yes. Is that okay if I share on that today? And I have the mic, so I don't really care, with or without your permission. <laughs> so, so just quickly looking at the first one, you know, John 8 says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 8 verse 31 to 32, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. My life has been transformed when I started to learn what it was to let Jesus show me the lies that I believed that caused me to feel the pain so that he could replace it with truth. But I also want to say that part of it is from reading the Bible. And so truth is in the Word of God and reading the Bible, but there's a power that comes from being able to hear from Jesus truth. I encourage people, every time you have a negative experience, every time you feel or experience something in your soul that is not good, that is not God, instead of just going, oh, that feels horrible, look at it and say, what are the lies I'm believing that is causing that? Lord Jesus, what do you want me to believe? And something will just shift in your soul. He will speak to you. Now, when we speak about God speaking to us, He doesn't speak audibly. There's often just something I know that I didn't know before. And God is going to do that in our lives. Maybe next time I'm here, we'll focus on those more with the, the I don't know if the ladies got some of that, but the men got a lot of that. But today I'm going to just focus on the transforming potential of troubles and trials. And, and I'm sure most of you have memorized promises from Jesus, right? How many of you have promises from Jesus that you've memorized? And for those three people, uh, you know, we stick promises of Jesus up on our fridge and our dashboard. And here's one that I'm sure you've, you've stuck on your fridge. It, it, I have told you these things, John 16, 33, that in me you may have peace, right? Beautiful promise. And then the promise we just scratched out in our Bibles, in this world you will have trouble. Oh, oh Jesus, no, sorry, I'll take the peace. Just scratch the trouble part out. I'm sure you didn't mean that, Jesus. How many of you have scratched that part out? It's like, in this world, you're going to have peace. Take heart, I've overcome the world, but in this world, you will have thlipsis. Everyone say thlipsis. Say it without spitting on the head of the person in front of you. Huh. Thlipsis. In this world, you will have the, the word literally means pressure. And it comes from the root word that means trouble, tribulation, affliction, suffering, anguish, persecution. You get the picture. In this world, you will have pressure. You will have trouble. You will have affliction. So on that note, let's just close in prayer. Thank you, Jesus. I experienced in our time in Namibia more spiritual pressure than I have experienced in any of the places God has sent us. And I know that all of you here experience this. And I want to tell you this. I have seen more Christians fall away because they don't know how to handle the thlipsis of life than many other reasons. And when God spoke to me what to speak here this morning, He said, unless my church catches this, the enemy is going to be able to cut their feet off. And I, you've got to catch what I'm going to share today. It took me years to learn. Coming to Namibia, preaching, giving my heart out, burning myself out, doing about 20 things God didn't tell me to do, wasn't His will. I got hit with a chronic disease that lasted 20 years. I was in so much pain, I was in cancer level pain killing meds for 15 years. I was going through some flipsis, and I didn't handle it all very well. There were times I was just really mad at God. There were times I sang the song, In the cross, why don't you love me? You're not a good God. And if you ever sung that song, no, you're not going to raise your hands, are you? I see those big toes. Just big toes, please. I see big toes. <laughs> you see, listen, you know, if you take a toothpaste tube and you've got this beautiful Colgate toothpaste tube and you stuff mud in there and worms in there and you close it up, it still looks like a toothpaste tube, right? And so a lot of us as Christians, we know what we should look like. We should look like the Colgate toothpaste tube. And we come to church, we, 
Pastor? <laughs> Great word, Pastor. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. <laughs> but in order for you to see what's in there that doesn't look like God, he has to apply? How do you get what's in a toothpaste tube out? And so God knows what's in there. God does not put you under pressure to show him what's in you. He already knows. He wants to show you what's in you. So when bloop comes out, you don't have to feel all ashamed. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Is there, no, 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 no. I let that come out. I want you to see it. Why? Not so I can spank you, but so that you can see that there are lies that I want to replace with truth. He is never judging. He is never condemning. He is always just, okay, a bit more pressure, whoop, until it comes out like a silversmith. He turns the heat up, the dross comes up, and he says, see that? Let's deal with that. I'm going to take that out and give you truth. Looks much better. And we go, oh, I'm just like Jesus. Then he turns the heat up again. It's like, whoop, again. It's not like you went backwards. It's that he is constantly revealing. If he had to try and get everything out of you in one shot, you'd explode. Be messy, messy, messy. Let him do it step by step, but I'm telling you now that pressures of life are sometimes the greatest things that you can experience, the greatest opportunity. But one of the biggest stumbling blocks I've seen in Christians' lives is that they conclude when they go through horrible things, when they have no money, when their children rebel, when everything goes wrong, when their health crashes, that somehow God has stopped being good to them. And any of you studied at varsity, a faulty conclusion is because you have a faulty premise. And so there's a faulty premise in the church today. And I feel like one of the messages God has laid in my heart so deeply is to break that faulty premise. Some of it comes from the extremes of the prosperity gospel that says that if you love God and if you have faith, everything's going to go well for you. You're going to be blessed. You're going to have money. Your children are going to serve the Lord. And yes, we are trusting for those. We pray for those things. But I want to tell you that the extremes of those, that if that is the premise of if God is good, that's what my life must look like, then when it doesn't look like that, you're going to think God doesn't like you. God's a against you. God isn't good for you. We've got to change the premise. The premise is that we're not on this earth to experience heaven yet. This is not heaven. Have you noticed? There will be a heaven. An author said this. I forget his name. He said, this earth is the only type of heaven that the unbeliever will ever experience. But this earth is also the only type of hell that the believer will ever experience. And when Christ returns, it says we will be made like Him. But it's not His goal for us to wait for then. His goal is to make us like Him here on earth. And on earth, there's an enemy. On earth, there is thripsis. On earth, there is pressure. Rick Warren says this, and I love Rick, and he's been through some stuff. God uses trouble to teach us to trust Him. Every problem has a purpose. That if we respond correctly, it will bring about Christ-like character. Let me talk about this word, Christ-like character. It comes from the Greek word, character. <laughs> hey, powerful. Say character. Yeah, so now you know a little Greek. I know a little Greek lives down the road from me. Um, this word character, are you ready for this? Means an image or impression formed under pressure. <laughs> How many are old enough to remember the song? Under pressure. Right, yeah, so I guess heavy metal goes. I see those hands. <laughs> Friends, character to the Greeks was an image or impression of the original formed under pressure. It would mean engraving, it would mean pressing a stamp of someone's signet ring into the wax to leave that impression. It was when they would burn something into leather, and often the engraving tool was called the character that they would use to form a character. Now, when it comes to having Christian character, hear me carefully. I've heard many messages and probably preached a few myself, where... We teach that going through trials and tribulations and troubles will make you more like Jesus. I want to tell you this. No. It is not the troubles, trials, 
tribulations, pressures, problems that make you more like Jesus. It is the choices you make when you go through those. I've seen troubles, trials, tribulations, pressures make people less like Jesus. Some of you are going through some stuff. In fact, God last night showed me what some people are going through in this church. Some of you came to church and God was saying, well done for coming because everything in you was resisting. I want you to know the kingdom is not all glory, hallelujah. When we're in His presence, we glory, hallelujah, we worship Him. But I want to tell you this, in real life, all of you are battling things, struggling with stuff. And we have to get real as Christians and recognize this is the Christian life. This is not because you have lack of faith. This is not because God has anything against you. Troubles, trials, precious problems by themselves do not make me more Christ-like. They can have the opposite effect if I make the wrong choices while going through them. And I've seen myself and others get better by making the right choices, but I've seen many get bitter. It's your choice. Listen, friends, you can't control what crushing experiences you're going to go through. You can't. You can't control what troubles are going to come your way. Today, tomorrow, next week, you can't control it. What you can control is the decisions you make when they do to come. I grew up in a home where there was a fair amount of abuse. I chose to rebel. My brother chose to forgive. We came out differently. Corrie Ten Boom went into the exact same concentration camp as a lot of the others. She came out better, they came out better, because she chose to forgive. She chose to press into Jesus in the most horrific circumstances. Jean Guillon was thrown in a dungeon by her husband because of her faith in God. She said, it was the best thing I ever experienced because I found Jesus in that dungeon. There are a lot of people who went into dungeons that we don't hear about because they did not make that decision. Are you hearing me? In fact, it is the few who make the choices to press into Jesus when the thlipsis comes. And inside of me, I have a switch. My free will. God will never violate your free will. And so that switch inside of me, let me say this to you, and it is critical that you hear this, both the devil and God are limited by what they can do in your life, by your choices. And if I choose to align myself to thinking like Jesus, I give him more authority in my life, and I receive the truth, and I walk free. But if that switch I turn towards thinking evil thoughts against God, I give the devil more authority in my life. So you know what people say, the devil made me do it? And I look at them and I say, the choices made you do it. <laughs> Decisions determine destiny. And that switch can be positive or negative. Now, I've given you a scripture for both of those switches. The negative one is probably one you don't memorize. In Psalm 71, 11, David's saying, God has forsaken me, pursue and seize me. There's no one to deliver me. Any of you ever sung that song? I have. I have. I drank the Kool-Aid that said if God loved me and was good to me, then my whole life would just have no problems. I drank that Kool-Aid. Fortunately, my kidneys have processed it out now. God gave me 20 years to learn some new lessons. Romans 8, we've already shared on. God does all things for the good. All things for the good. We were, one day in our house, we woke up at one in the morning, and there was a sound, like the sound of many rushing waters. You would think it was a vision from heaven, but it was not. There's this huge municipal pipe outside our house that carries the municipal water to the entire area, and that exploded. Washed some of the houses, like, beyond us, down the hill, but, I mean, there was a river of joy flowing through my house at one in the morning. And as I stood in my lounge watching my furniture float out into the garden, I was like, God, this is terrible. It's an attack of the enemy. How can you allow this? And you know when someone says something to you and it kind of replays in your head, you echo it. Now, I didn't hear the audible voice, but I heard the echo that said, I am using this to bless you. I was like, cool. So I stood in the water. I was like, bless me, Lord. 
I found out my wife had been praying that we would break all the interior walls down of the entrance area, the dining room, and turn it into a big open plan area. Well, God did it for her because her husband wasn't listening. <laughs> so listen, guys, if your wife wants to break walls down, do it. Break the walls. Isn't there a song there, break walls down or something? James, let's have a look at James. Is James here this morning? James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I'll get lots of amens. I might even get a wow. Say wow. Say it backwards. Wow. But let me tell you this, that when people go through really hectic things, and they consider it pure joy. A lot of people want to put them in a psychiatric ward. That's just not normal. It's just not what comes naturally. And I want to say this, that most believers I meet would rather have a comfortable life than be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Will you make a decision today? Do you want to be mature and complete, not lacking anything? Or do you want to have a comfortable existence. I know some of you are still thinking about that. I wanted a comfortable existence. And I did want to be like Jesus, but I wanted to be the easy way. And after 20 years of suffering with so much pain, there were days I would wake up in so much pain I just could not move. I would have sometimes four hours of the ability to do anything in the day. I was like, God, you've taken everything away. I gave my whole life to serve you. What are you doing to me? Why, why are you doing this to me? And God said, I want to teach you how to hide in me. And I want to teach you a lesson that I taught Paul. And he said this to me about Paul. He said, Paul, for months, had been crying out to me that I would take away the pain in his body because of the thorn in his flesh. He cried out over and over, just like you are crying out to me now, Andrew, that I would take this away from him. What did God say to Paul? My grace is sufficient for you. And right there and then he gave me a choice. He said, would you rather have me make you pain-free right now or teach you how to live in the power of my grace? I said, I choose your grace. And he started to teach me. He said, Andrew, you know that if you get up out of bed, you're going to be in just as much pain as if you lie in that bed. So are you going to get up? Yes, Lord. He started doing more through me in my pain by his grace than I could have done had I been healed. He taught me many lessons. I don't have time. We only have seven hours left. But I want to say this. Last year, March, my health crashed so badly that I thought this is it. It's the end. Got my affairs in order. Ended up going into hospital for three weeks. Carol brought back a prophetic word from Jim LaFoon. And Jim said, Andrew, you are going to be healed. However, not like you thought. It's going to start with a medical intervention that will lead to a miracle. I was sitting in that hospital. I said, okay, I'll take that word. This is, this is, I think, a medical intervention. Three weeks in hospital. See, I'm prophetic. And it was a, a rough three weeks. And the last few days, God said to me, Andrew, you're going to walk out of here free. The last morning, I woke up completely pain-free. I was used to getting up at like 11, 12. I started waking up at 6 in the morning going, what do you do with so many hours in a day? <laughs> but friends, I want to tell you, I don't regret any one of the lessons I learned through that trial. And it's not like that's been the only trial. There have been plenty since. And you are going to all have plenty. How are you going to respond? People say, <laughs> okay, like Paul. Went through stuff. Cried out to God, but God said, my grace. What about Paul? Paul said in Romans 3, 5, we rejoice in our sufferings like crazy people. When last did you suffer and rejoice in your sufferings? I can say, when last did you suffer and you'd all go, hmm, I remember a few. 
When last did you rejoice in your sufferings? We don't rejoice because we don't realize what it's doing in our lives and the glorious opportunity it has. Because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. And it's a hope that doesn't disappoint us. I want to say this to you. People say the enemy comes to try and steal your faith. No, the enemy knows that faith is the substance of things hoped for. He comes to steal your hope. And there are Christians sitting here today who've lost your hope. You've stopped hoping in God. You've stopped hoping for the promises because the enemy's knocked you so hard that you've just decided, well, it's not for me. Instead of realizing part of me receiving what God has promised is me pressing through these things. Because with every prophetic promise, prophetic, with every prophetic promise comes a process of perfection of going through problems to prepare you for the promise. Joseph got a prophetic word, remember. They're all going to bow down and worship you. It sounds amazing. Oh, gee, they're all going to bow down and worship I'm going to go tell them now. Hey, guys, you're all going to bow down and worship me. Don't you know that Joseph had to go through some significant trauma, prison, persecution, sold into slavery before he could see the promise? And I want to tell you, if Joseph, when Potiphar's wife came and said, come to bed with me, if he had made the wrong choice, we would not have seen Joseph do what he did. God would have had to raise someone else up. The prophetic promise was predicated. Wow, I got another PR out of that one. <laughs> Upon him making the right choices in the problems. The promised land requires you to go through a wilderness. So why? Why would a good God? Because he's more committed to your character than your comfort. And they came out of Egypt... And Moses brought them out of Egypt, but the wilderness was to bring Egypt out of them. The glorious thing about what God does in our lives is that the only stuff He breaks in your life is what doesn't look like Him. Isn't that good? I want to tell you about my dogs. How many of you love dogs? Okay, can I tell you about my dogs? Brought them with me in my hand luggage. Won't you bring them in, please, bro? Oh, you just took a picture of them. Okay, there's my dogs. Oh, they're so sweet, right? Everyone go, oh. I love dogs, man. I studied zoology in varsity. I wanted to be a vet. They're so much simpler than people. <laughs> so I want to tell you a tale of my three puppies. I love my puppies. I am a good master to them. And I tell you what, they get fed all the time. They never go hungry. They, when there's any pain, whoo, off to the vet. Even that's like their greatest suffering. He stuck a thing in my... <laughs> you don't love me. You took me to the vet. That's about the worst they experienced, you know? And there was a day I was going through a really hard time. And I'm just being vulnerable with you because, I don't know, sometimes we just raise the standard in church of what we should say instead of what we do say. And I just said, God, you know what? I think I'm more good to my dogs than you're good to me. Excuse the bad grammar. She's not, actually, my grandma was a great lady. Um, and, and God said something to me that was just amazing. He said, well, you know where dogs come from. And we'd had a discussion the day before that every dog in the world today came from wolves. And God said, what are your dogs for? What is the purpose in your life of your dogs? I'm like, they're my comfort. They're my little cuddly things. They make me feel good. They sleep with me at night. And God said, but what if my purpose for your dogs was for them to become powerful, pack-hunting, vermin-destroying, vicious God dogs? Would you treat them differently to make them that? And I was reminded, I'd been in hospital a little while before that, having my gallbladder done, and I was in hospital with a guy who had headed up the canine unit for the police, and now he has dogs all over the world, most of them in Iraq, Afghanistan, places, and he was telling me what he does with his dogs, and he said, I love my dogs. 
And he said, but I have to train them to handle the harshest of harsh conditions. My dogs are the best in the world. They are in demand everywhere. Iraq wants my dogs because they can handle bombs going off next to them. They do not flee. They can handle extreme weather. And so what I have to do is I have to take my dogs and expose them to extreme weather conditions. I have to take my dogs and make explosions go off next to them. I have to put my dogs outside and make them go hungry and train them not to eat and kill each other in the midst of it. I have to train them in harsh conditions to become the powerful product they need to be and he said Andrew do you want to be my pet or do you want to be the powerful person I made you to be Hmm, let me think about that Jesus is the pet option still on the table are you hearing me God's not doing anything to you Because he don't like you. Everything he does, everything he allows you to go through is because you are made to be powerful. But there's stuff in you that is hindering you. And the only thing that pressure, trials, tribulations, the fire deals with is what is not of him so you can be more like him. Michelangelo was crafting a huge block of marble and turning it into a horse. He was carving this horse, and one of the leaders came and said to him, how do you get a horse out of that block of marble? And he said, I just carve away everything that doesn't look like a horse. How does Jesus make you more like him? He carves away everything that doesn't look like him. Oh, Jesus, I like that one. (laughs) That hurt. (laughs) Can any of you relate? Now, friends, I want to tell you that some of the stuff you go through is going to be of the enemy. There's some suffering that is not of God. I want to tell you this. There is evil in this world. The Bible says the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came to give life and life abundantly. I've shared another word on suffering where we look at where does suffering come from. It does not come from God, the kind of suffering that steals what God wants for you. Don't ever say God took my son or the enemy is the one who what? Steals, kills, and destroys. But as long as we're this side of earth, of heaven, on this earth, the enemy will do what he can to steal, kill, and destroy in your life. And you've got to make the right choices because God will restore everything. We will be restored to lost loved ones. Whatever he takes from us will be restored. And there is a process in both streams. The one is the trials and tribulations God allows us to go through to make us more like him. But the suffering and the attack of the enemy, we have to also rise up as warriors. And I'm not talking about this one today, okay? But it doesn't matter whether it's either one of those. The choices you make in the mix of it is what makes you better or better. Amen. You know, when I started in the ministry, how many of you remember Bill Bennett? <laughs> Some of you nodding your heads. Bill, Bill was the guy who started the church in Joburg. We hooked up with him in 1987. And I used to work out in the gym. And I, you know, that gym was just, you know, I worked out for two years in the Vitz gym. Never built any muscle. <laughs> then Bill Bennett came along, Olympic wrestler. You'll attest. <laughs> He had, his muscles had muscles, man. <laughs> and he said, discipleship in this church is in the gym. And it was like, Andrew, stop pushing 30. You can push 50, then 60, then 80, then 100. He got me bench pressing 120 kilograms and only weighed 59. Why? Because the tough stuff makes you buff. If you want to grow muscle, you've got to have greater resistance. And so when Paul talks about his light and momentary troubles, (laughs) half his Christian life was troubles. And he says, our light and momentary troubles. My friends, let me just say this, and I'm, I'm wrapping up with some of these things. My light and momentary troubles in my health were 20 years. Paul's light and momentary troubles were like near death experiences. Some people's light and momentary troubles will last a lifetime because in light of eternity, that is light and momentary. Helen Keller was a healthy young baby at 19 months. She got ill and went deaf and blind for the rest of her life. It was not light and momentary. It was a lifelong condition. But she chose to press into God. 
And she became one of the world's best-known authors, speakers, encouragers, exhorters. There are Helen Keller quotes everywhere you look as someone who pressed into God. And her teacher taught her how to speak using her hand, writing on her hand. And one day, her teacher wrote the name for God, and she said, thank you for telling me the name of the one who is always speaking to me. Helen Keller said this, Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. Just say wow. And say it backwards again. So we can go to that last slide. Thank you, guys. Friends, I want to encourage you. The enemy will throw what he can at you. But if you are going to transform the way you perceive your expectations of life in Christ, and every time stuff comes, you see it as an opportunity, and you start making the right decisions, then next time I come back here, we will see so many little Christs that are far stronger, far more developed. And I want to ask you this. What would you rather be? Mature and complete, lacking nothing. Be like Jesus. Or, I just want Jesus to take my problems away and give me an easy life. Because if it's the problems away and easy life, I'm sorry, you're going to be disappointed. And one of the greatest melodies in the church today is disappointment in God. I know atheists who were once servants of God. I know atheists who were at one stage ministers of God. But they expected God to do things for them that He didn't, and their disappointment led them to say, well, then there's not a God. This is seriously the crux of living the Christian life here on earth. Won't you stand with me? Let me pray for you. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to picture whatever trials and tribulations and troubles you are experiencing right now. I want you to see them in your soul and the effect that they are having on your soul. And I'm going to ask you to do a prophetic action. I, I want you to like grab those trials and troubles and what they're doing in your soul and, and pull them out of your soul and hold them in your hand in front of you. When you look at them, they don't look so, so great. And now I'm going to ask you to just give them to Jesus. And Lord Jesus, I release you, your light, your presence right now to come and take these things and release the weight of them in these men and women's souls. Because what God does, He doesn't take the troubles away. He takes the weight of them and the impact they have on your soul away. Just let it go right now. Just let it go. For some of you, it's deep. I, God told me there's some people who have been in mourning and grief that's so deep. Nothing is too deep for Him to lift the weight out of your soul. Would you do a transaction with him today and just say, I let it go. And just watch him take it. There it goes. There it goes. And just say this with me. Lord Jesus, I love you. <laughs> and I give to you every wrong choice, every lie that I've held on to in my challenges, the weight that I've allowed to come from them. And you said, cast your cares on me because I care for you. So I cast these cares on you, Jesus. And release them right now. Let it go. Just let it go. 
Oh, there it goes. And I take your yoke on me, Jesus. Your yoke's light. Your yoke helps me. Why did Jesus say, take my yoke? Because when there was one strong ox and one weak ox, they would yoke them together and the little ox would be pulled by the big ox and the big ox would do the work. When you yoke yourself with Jesus, he does the work and you just get like a free ride. You have a choice. Am I going to cast my cares on me or cast them on Jesus? Am I going to carry the yoke of my troubles or I'm going to carry that blessed yoke of Jesus that says, walk with me, I'll walk right through it. He takes you through <laughs> the valley of the shadow of death. You don't camp there. You go through it. When you're with Jesus, He pulls you through stuff and you just go, hey, that wasn't so bad because I learned how to hide in you. Jesus, I bless every man and woman in this church, every child, every family. I bless them with the grace that you gave to Paul, the grace to say that your strength is sufficient. And I declare now that the enemy will not steal their hope. I declare right now that you will help us and give us the grace Decision by decision, choice by choice. Next time we go through stuff, we're going to choose to say, Jesus, help me to embrace truth here. Thank you for this glorious opportunity to let go of the lies and embrace your truth. To press into your light and your presence so that I can be more like you because I want to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And everyone here said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Pastor Chris. Day of bliss with Pastor Chris. Thank you. Said past love of the Lord never ceases. <laughs> His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. New every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Great is our faith. They are new. They are new every morning. New every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O lift your hands to the Lord. Father, we thank you, God, that you are with us. We pray, Lord, that during this week we will be reminded of your faithfulness and your goodness. That we will know and understand that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Not trial, not tribulation, nor angels, nor demons, nor anything created. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So, Father, we release our blessing, Father, over your people, Lord. We thank you for Pastor Andrew and Pastor Carol, Lord. We trust and believe as a church, Lord, that they're stepping into a greater grace and a greater season, Lord. Yeah. We thank you and we receive the impartation that we received this weekend, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody shout amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit envintook.org.